0: Section forty of G. K. Chesterton's Newspaper Columns, The New Witness, nineteen twenty two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. G. K. Chesterton's Newspaper Columns, The New Witness, 1922 by G. K. Chesterton Master vs. Makers I have just been looking at the new Labour paper, or to be precise at the new leader, with which is incorporated the Labour leader. I looked at it with interest because I certainly think that Labour wants a new leader and we never from the first profess to offer anything but a new witness. That is to say, we are valid witnesses to the fact that proletarians, and especially manual laborers, have as a historical fact been cruelly crushed by capitalism. But we do not profess to be manual laborers ourselves. It would be misleading for middle-class sympathizers such as we are to call ourselves laborers in the common sense. But we are exceedingly glad that the real technical manual laborers, the bricklayers, and the joiners and the plasterers, should have an organ of their own. Hence my interest in looking at it, and at the names displayed on its first page. The first name I see is that of Professor Einstein. It may be that the professor, while not perhaps in the technical trade union sense a bricklayer, is nevertheless a sort of patron saint of bricklayers. It may be that his great theory, that all straight lines are crooked, is invoked by bricklayers when piling a tower of brick, that his idea that a foot rule measures more one way than the other is a technical working principle of the trade union, that the bricklayers balanced on high ladders may be heard disputing about his higher mathematics. This is possible. It is perhaps a little more probable that the presence of Professor Einstein's article is due to the fact that it is an article that implies a plea for Persia, But of one thing I am very certain, I am every bit as likely to hear two real bricklayers, on top of a real lather discussing relativity as I am to hear them uttering this sort of pacifism, or this sort of apology for Persianism. The next horny-handed proletarian I find, filling the central pages of the page, is Professor Arthur Thompson, I am not sure which trade union he belongs to, whether to the National Union of Astronomers and the Guild of Higher Mathematicians, like Professor Einstein, or to the invisible Guild of Poets with that admirable poet, Mr. Walter de la Marais. For the rest, there are several able and honest people with whom I sympathize, possibly all the more because they happen to be all people of my own class and education. Such is my sublime class consciousness. The admiration of the world. Mr. G. D. H. Cole is my old schoolfellow at one of the old public schools. Mr. H. N. Brailsford is my old fellow journalist and radical colleague of the daily news, every bit as bourgeois as I am. Mrs. Swanwick is the daughter of a Dante scholar whose name I shall always hold in love and veneration, but who was certainly more and not less academic than I am. Honestly, I cannot see why the word labor should be tagged on to these people on the new leader any more than ourselves in the new witness. I am inclined to think there are as many navies and dustmen in our list of contributors as in theirs, but I have left the greatest name in their list to the last, and it is with that I am really concerned. I see that Mr. H. G. Wells, in an eloquent and just tribute to the late Sanderson of Ondal has referred to the distinction which I noted in the New Witness many years ago, when it was advanced by Mr. Bartrand Russell. It is expressed in the statement, possessiveness has to give way to creativeness, and the idea of dominance to the idea of service. The later antithesis, I confess, has begun to bore me a good deal. I deny there is anything good about service in the abstract, Without reference to what we serve, the sight of all the front bench politicians standing like a row of flunkies in the liveries of a new millionaire does not increase my enthusiasm for the term. A fine chain of meaning something more than a misprint, may at any moment turn the word service into the word servile, nor do I think the hostile term in itself worthy of so much abstract hostility. I do not think there is anything wrong in a man being dominant when he is dominating devils or anything good in a man serving when he is serving devils. Nor is it a matter of merely militant domination, as in the war against things that are evil, there is also a peaceful and human's domination of things are good. A man need not be the conqueror, but he can be the king of his cat and dog, his chairs and tables, his house and field. And that brings us back to the first and far more valuable and interesting antithesis, and to the old problem of property. The important part of the sentence is the beginning of it. Possessiveness has to give way to creativeness. Now, the first thing that occurs to me to say about this is that if possessiveness does give way, the creativeness will always give way. Do not imagine for a moment that I am thinking of the mean and vulgar argument used by capitalist against socialist, that the artist will not work unless he has an incentive, that is, unless he has money enough to buy a peerage and purchase a castle as handsome as a pork butcher's. That I need hardly say is not the point at all. That was an argument invented by a pork butcher trying in vain to imagine why the devil the man became an artist. An artist can do perfectly well without incentives in that sense. He can often do without success or popularity. He can sometimes almost do without bread and cheese. But there are two things that the artist cannot possibly do without. He cannot do without possessiveness, and he cannot do without domination. Even the artist may be glad to have the cheese as well as the bread Even the artist need not be the absent-minded as not to know the difference between chalk and cheese. But the possessiveness involved here is not concerned with the cheese so much as the chalk. Suppose, for the sake of argument, that I have realized one of my secret dreams and am engaged in drawing on a great white wall or ceiling with a piece of black or red chalk as long as a pole. Drawing designs on a scale, if not exactly in the style of Michelangelo, the so only two things I must have besides a chalk and a wall are possessiveness or a grip on the chalk, and domination or the power of deciding the design on the wall. Now of course it would be possible to make that mister Wells could call a larger, more social, more coordinated and cooperative use of the piece of chalk. You could have a whole crowd of comrades hanging onto a single stick of chalk like a company carrying a battering ram. You could by their combined or conflicting movements make a series of marks on the white wall. And I can imagine Mr. H.G. Wells or Mr. Bertrand Russell or some other moralist describing that design in terms of ethical or aesthetic eulogy. I can imagine their explaining to us how those vast vague curves revealed the impersonal purpose which is the paradox of their religion. How those strange lines that seem at first sight to be wavering and wandering show the subconsciousness of society seeking the truth? How those rather erratic dots and jerks or warning signals that punctuate the impatience of the populace? Or I can imagine the alternative school of Mr. Sidney Webb, proving to me that a machine could be made to hold the red chalk in one iron claw and make rhythmic and recurrent marks on the same wall day and night. I do not say that there could be no interest in these experiments. I only say they would be no use for my experiment. If I am to make my design according to my idea, I must be allowed to treat the chalk as my chalk and the wall as my wall. There are exceptions to the principle where higher laws come in. But the philosophy I am criticizing does not propose to allow for the exceptions, but to alter the rule. It does not say that possessiveness can sometimes be sacrificed, the latter to be extended in the spirit, or that a man may sometimes possess spiritually and renounce materially, that the spirit of ownership sometimes extends to cover cases where men do not technically own. He simply sets possession in the flat opposition of creation. As if the two were not only totally distinct but definitely incompatible this seems to me to be in itself incompatible with the mere practical action and experience of holding a piece of chalk besides our society is not possessive not by a very long chalk indeed i do not understand what mr wells and mr russell mean by talking about it as if it were possessed by possessiveness in truth Ownership and originality do go together, and they are absent together as well as present together. And in this case, it would be about as true to say that all modern men are poets as that they are all possessors, Herded in huge labyrinthine cities, they have largely lost the memory of what is meant by owning a patch of earth. It would seem to many of them as strange as owning a paving stone flitting from lodging to lodging in vast migrations of employment and unemployment, they have largely forgotten the sensation of owning a house. It was seem to them as fantastic as the bird of passage owning the trees in the park. Sold up again and again by mean landlords and lenders, on their triumphant way to become peers and plutocrats, the poor have again and again seen their small possessions, scattered to the pawn shops and the rubbish heaps, and they have all but lost their tenacious tenderness for old clocks and crockery. The truth is that it is precisely the paralyzing of the possessing instinct in the modern masses that has made them uncreative. The limitation of liberty lies in being only allowed the use of things, the impersonal and temporary use of them, the disadvantage of having the use of anything is that you cannot put it to any other uses. You can borrow a book from a circulating library if it is only for the comparatively dull and unimaginative purpose of reading it. But you cannot cut the pictures out of the book to paste them on a the screen or set them up in a toy theater to amuse the children. In other words, you can only use the book in a receptive way. Exactly what you cannot do is to use it in a creative way. And you cannot create precisely because you do not possess. Possession loosens a sort of pivot of free will in the mind, which can turn the utility of the book in all possible directions, besides the one direction for which the circulating library has designed it. Until men own, we shall never know what they can make. The limitation of liberty lies in being only allowed the use of things, the impersonal and temporary use of them. The disadvantage of having the use of anything is that you cannot put it to any other use. You can borrow a book from a circulating library if it is only for the comparatively dull and unimaginative purpose of reading it. But you cannot cut pictures out of the book to paste them on a screen or set them up in a toy theater to amuse the children. In other words, you can only use the book in a receptive way. Exactly what you cannot do is to use it in a creative way. And you cannot create precisely because you do not possess. Possession loosens a sort of pivot of free will in the mind, which can turn the utility of the book in all possible directions, besides the one direction for which the circulating library has designed it until men own we shall never know what they can make end of master versus maker